You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. It is week two of Seahawks Insiders. Jen Mueller here alongside John Boyle from Seahawks.com as we get you ready for the Seahawks matchup against the Los Angeles Rams. And, John, how many times have you said St. Louis instead of Los Angeles? Way too many. I was going to say it'll be a miracle if we get through this whole podcast without a St. Louis Rams reference. I might just say Rams to be safe. I have done that with everybody this week because I don't trust myself to get it right, even though I am very much looking forward to a trip to Los Angeles as opposed to St. Louis. Absolutely. I mean, it's a shorter flight, no 10 a.m. kickoff. It's, I mean, no dark dome. It's a lot of things better about this trip. Yeah, and uh, we'll get into that game. I want to come back to what you said about that 10 a.m. kickoff when we talk more about Sunday's game a little bit later on in the podcast, but every week during the season, we're going to get you ready for the game ahead. We'll spend a couple of minutes breaking down what we saw in the past game and how that might change as we take a look um, specifically at how the Seahawks played in week one against Miami. And John, I, I think we could say that it was an ugly win, but winning at this time of year when everybody's trying to get their footing is just a big deal. It is. And I mean, it's so cliche, but I mean, it's the NFL and all these teams are pretty damn talented. And it's, I mean, a win is a win. One and oh is still one and oh. And I mean, I think by the time the dust settles, we're going to look at the end of the season and come to realize that Miami defense is really legit. I mean, they've added some good pieces. We all know about that defensive line. So it was, I mean, it was a struggle for the offense. No one's denying that. Any coach you talk to, any player, the offense needs to be better. But they they made some progress, did enough at the end to win the game. And they showed kind of that patented Seahawks confidence, four-minute drill, two-minute drill at the end of the first yeah. half where they scored. So I, can, I think you can see they, they've picked up where they left off. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, we'd love to see them just go out and light it up every series and score a bunch of points and make it comfortable. But that's not always how it goes. And it is – it is a pretty impressive thing about this team, the way even in games when nothing seems to be going well, when it really matters most, the way they can turn it on and finish. And I've had people remind me as well, these are the type of games the Seahawks did not win last year. The At this close time ones last year, yeah. where they weren't closing them out in the fourth quarter, you go back two years ago, three years ago, you might have thought they were lucky at the time, but those ended up to be the big difference once you got into the you know week seven, eight, nine, ten of the season. So... That is all good, and we can expect to see some changes on the offense. I don't know that any of this is breaking news, that any of this is going to cause drastic differences on the field, but we know that Thomas Rawls is going to start, and we would expect to see more of Jimmy Graham. Yeah, I mean, they've they've been pretty clear that both those guys were limited. I think Pete Carroll used the term pitch count, or maybe the person asking the question did, but uh, Jimmy Graham was definitely on a pitch count. I mean, they, they only played him, I think, 17 snaps. He had the one target. That'll increase. I don't know that it'll necessarily go back to, you know, where he was playing 85% of the snaps like he was last year, but they'll build him up to that. Thomas Rawls, as you said, is going to get the start. So, you know, I think we'll still see a decent amount of Kristen Michael. This is not going to be in the past where Marshawn Lynch is the dominant guy getting all the touches. I think they do like what both those guys bring. And then one more that could change things up a little bit is getting Will Tukuafu back. You get a more experienced fullback. This is a kind of game that's probably going to be one of those defensive struggles where you're going to want to maybe pound the ball a little bit. So you might see a little more from the fullback this week as well. 
Yeah, I would say that that has been one of the big characteristics against NFC West opponents, but particularly the St. Louis team. It has just been violently physical up front. So I think Tukuafu is going to make a big difference. When you take a look at the personnel grouping that the Seahawks were in last week, 11 personnel was the most common personnel grouping that we saw. That is one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. That was 75% of the Seahawks snaps, who we saw in the field. I think part of that was because Jimmy Graham, they didn't really know where he was going to be on game day. Had a good indication that he was going to play. Do you think that we see more of the two tight end personnel group this week? We could. And this, again, goes to what we were just talking about, these physical kind of smash mouth NFC West games. You can do more in the running game with two tight ends. So we might, and then you add Jimmy Graham to it. But they also do a lot of 11 personnel because Tyler Lockett's a hell of a receiver and they like getting all three of those guys on the field. So, uh, you know, I think we'll see a pretty good mix. That's that's one of the things Daryl Bevel's really underrated at, in my opinion, is the way he mixes and matches personnel groupings and just changes it up to keep things a little harder on defense. Yeah, and you're going to have to make it difficult on this Rams defense because they have one of the best defensive fronts. Miami... <sighs> In fact, I might even put the Rams ahead yeah, of Miami. On that uh, I mean, front. they're both really talented, but yeah, that that St. Louis group is. And it what's funny? Well, it's not funny if you're the Seahawks, but what's kind of interesting is it seems like every game it's somebody different on that line. Yes. I mean, Aaron Donald is the biggest name for good reason. He's one of the best defensive players in the league. He's given the Seahawks trouble. Other times have been Robert Quinn, but then even William Hayes, who's not a household name. I can't remember if it was the game down there here last year, but he had a game where he was just wrecking things in the backfield. So it's that's a really, really nasty group. And for folks who wonder how the Seahawks could put so much emphasis or maybe why I even cringe when I see the Rams on the schedule. I know we have to play them two times a year, but I've done this long enough to know this is not a cakewalk. No. The Rams have beat Seattle three of the last four matchups. The defensive front, as we've mentioned, not only matched up well, but the Rams have recorded more sacks of Russell Wilson than any other team 31 sacks in eight games, and you've got a defensive front against Russell Wilson, who shows no sign of a limp this week, but is still coming off an injury. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> it's going to be tough. And uh, the good news is, as you said, he's not limping around. He practiced fully on Wednesday, which continues one of the more underrated streaks that we've seen out of him is he's never missed a practice, not one. And now we're going into his fifth season and a quarterback who runs around and, and is a part of the rushing game to, to be as durable as he has is remarkable, but he could be a little, he, he says he's good. And I certainly take him as word, but whether he's quite as effective as it eluding the rush remains to be seen. And if he's not, those linemen need to just be that much sharper. Are you surprised he didn't sit out of Wednesday's practice? I was a little bit, cause I thought they might want to rest him. Maybe. I mean, it's, just the way he is, though, I mean, he is so the just kind of the the typical quarterback wants to be the and, and is one of the hardest working guys out there. And that's just part of his DNA. I don't think you can. I mean, the trainers aren't going to let him practice if he's going to do more damage. But of course, if there's I mean, he's not the kind of guy who's going to take advantage of a veteran day off if they want to give him one. He could have. I mean, he knows this offense. He could have gone through the walkthrough and sat out practice and been just fine from a preparation standpoint. But that's not who Russell Wilson is. He wants to be out there every chance he gets. So I guess from that standpoint, I'm not too surprised. Going back to Russell and this offensive line, I continue to be impressed with the way he and Justin Britt work yeah. together, which I do think is more of a point of emphasis when you have the Rams defensive line yeah. that you are countering. I mean, 
you see him in a in a real game and they didn't have any problems. That I think I mean because offensive line isn't necessarily the sexiest storyline or whatever. What Justin Britt has done this year is one of the more underrated parts of this preseason slash early part of this season to go from tackle to guard to now, okay, we're going to try him at center this year. And a lot of people thought that was more a a reflection of, you know, he's not doing a good job and they just can't find a place for him. They looked at him when they drafted him as potentially a center down the road. It just didn't quite come together at first, but I mean, he's looked really good and to adjust to that position so quickly has been amazing. I saw you were talking to him today. I had a chance to talk to him for a few minutes and, you know, he's never going to be the most um, uh, outspoken person on mm-hmm. the offensive line. But the the conversation that we had, he says that playing center has rejuvenated his love for the game, that he just loves that position. He can't quite put his finger on why, but he loves it. And he wouldn't trade having the experience at guard and tackle because he trusts those guys that are out there, even though he might not have played with them before in this particular alignment. He knows what it's like to be in their shoes. He knows how to make the calls. And he can just kind of, in some ways, relax, which is odd to think of a center doing, and just play his game. It, it, to, to watch him and his face light up talking about that is mm-hmm. impressive. To yeah, me. he talked earlier during the preseason about similar things like that, where it was, he he said this switch really, it's made him see the game differently, where it's, you know, when you're a tackler or a guard, you're being told what your assignment is usually by that center, and then you do your job. Whereas now he's got to be the guy telling everybody else, getting everybody else on the same page. And it's really just helped him take his preparation to another level, take his play to another level. And it's for a position that was kind of up in the air for a lot of last year, they might have found a great center playing guard and tackle the years before. Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty amazing to see. Okay, let's flip this around a little bit. Talk about the Seahawks defense against this Rams offense because I think that's where most people go with this conversation. When they see what Los Angeles did on Monday Night Football, what's the danger in thinking that's who this Rams team is? Well, I mean, we've we've covered what they've done in the Seahawks, and it's just – I. I don't want to say the Rams are an inconsistent team, but they we've seen them over the years get up for big opponents, division games, and play really well. So, I mean, to me, the danger is just it, the Seahawks won't do this. But if if as a fan you're looking at twenty eight nothing and thinking, oh, we got this, this is easy, that, that's not going to be the case. I I think the Seahawks have a great shot to win this game, but it's not going to be twenty eight nothing rolling over them like last week. And having said that, the quarterback did have some problems. Yes. And Case Keenum says this week that he was seeing ghosts. He wasn't trusting his teammates. He wasn't trusting his own abilities. And the numbers show that he completed less than 50% of his passes. They averaged less than four yards an attempt. And out of all 32 quarterbacks that played on Sunday, he finished last in QB rating and yards per attempt, 31st in passing yards completion percentage. And he threw a couple of interceptions. Which, not to say that all of those numbers don't get better this week, there's going to have to be a large jump made or somebody else on that Rams office is going to have to pick up some slack. Well, and I think that somebody else is their running game as a whole, but Todd Gurley in particular. Not that Gurley played poorly. He didn't. I mean, that game you watched, the Niners loaded the box. He had nowhere to go. But if they can get a run game going early, that's how you help a quarterback who's maybe struggling a little bit. You make the play action a legitimate threat you open things up where it, they can't just keep loading the box on you, or if they do, you punish them. So that's, I mean, to me, it, it's really cliche to say it's going to start with the run game, but probably more so than just about in any situation, the Rams need to get that run game going if they're going to get their offense going. 
And I guess off of that, then you might see Tavon Austin make some big plays because the Rams have gotten some chunk yardage against the Seahawks. Yeah, in the Tavon last, Austin's yeah. been responsible for a good amount of that. I talked to a couple of players, KJ Wright being one of them, that the big thing with him is just being aware of him because this is not a receiver who's going to line up in one spot or a running back in one spot. He's everywhere. He's in the slot. They'll run a jet sweep handed off to him. They'll put him in the backfield as a tailback. So he's just keeping track of him is really important. And the Seahawks defense – I, there's plenty of opportunities for them, and I'd be curious to see what the Rams' play count is after this Week 2 matchup because I'm looking back at Monday night. They ran just 60 plays on offense, and that was one of the problems. Jeff Fisher said, look, you can have Tavon Austin. You can have Todd Gurley out there. We didn't get enough plays to get the ball to any of our playmakers, which I believe the Seahawks' defense allowed uh, 54 plays to be run by Miami. So we look at the 60 and we go, that's not very many and realize it could be another tough week in that regard for the Rams. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's when you, people talk about controlling the ball, you think about the clock, but that's another big part of it too, where if you can put a couple of drives together and you just, it's every one of those plays is an opportunity to do something. And the Seahawks had what, 80 plays last week. If you know, the turnovers kept that game closer than it might've been otherwise, but the Seahawks did a really good job in that sense of, Keeping getting Miami off the field quickly, getting a lot of those three and outs, and you know if they can do anything similar to that against the Rams, it's going to bode very well for their chances. Yeah, time of possession for the Seahawks nine minutes more than Miami last week, and that's a good recipe and something that uh, Pete Carroll likes to do. You said a word that I think is so critical for this matchup, and it is awareness. Yeah. How I guess aware does everybody need to be, and how? often and how many different facets of this game is that going to come into play well it comes into play everywhere but with the rams in particular special teams is is the number one thing to me because we've just seen them jeff fisher is willing to gamble he and you know he he turns that back to giving credit to the seahawks that one of the reasons he's been willing to do that is the seahawks are a darn good team and he's had to a good example i'm sure you remember that fake punt in st louis where they're backed up they're, I mean, if they don't get that, if they don't convert on that fake punt, they're handing the Seahawks the ball in field goal range down one or two points. I mean, they're basically betting on the game right there. And afterwards, Fisher just said, well, we couldn't stop Russell Wilson, so why punt it to him? And it's, so a lot of it's kind of respect to what the Seahawks have done. But, yeah, they, they do so many things on special teams. You just got to be aware. We saw, I don't know if they'll do this again, but we saw last year in the second game up here in Seattle, the Seahawks had their base defense on the field when the Rams punted more often than not, it was basically we're going to concede that we're not going to get a return because we don't want you to kill us with some trick play. I was talking to Mike Morgan, who has roles on special teams and on the defense today. And I was asking, so who's responsible for calling out like a funky formation or, you know, or, or for indicating that there's something coming up. And he said, it's really all of our responsibility. And I said, well, you know, I guess the good news is they've run so many different things against you that you've probably seen it all. And this is not comforting, John, when he said, oh, no, there's plenty oh, more yeah, that you I'm could sure do is. against us if you really wanted to. But, yeah, they, they are all very aware yeah. of how sneaky the Rams can be on Sunday. Yeah, and especially if, I mean, if, if the Rams offense is struggling earlier, I, I would almost be surprised if they didn't try something. So, well, And you got to imagine that the Rams, this game for the Rams, has a lot more implications on it given the fact that it's their home opener, given the fact that it's the return to L.A., and they're already taking just a little bit of heat, so they they feel the pressure to come out with a win. Absolutely. I mean, this has been a, a very big hyped event. It's their home opener. I, 
I don't know how the schedule is made, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not by coincidence that Pete Carroll's heading down to L.A. for the first home game for the Rams. That's That probably didn't happen by accident. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on that's going to make this game pretty big and exciting. And how big is it to have a team back in L.A.? Because I'll be honest, and, and Russell Wilson said this, I don't remember having a team in L.A. He makes you feel old. old when he says it that, does. doesn't it? <laughs> it totally does. And then he says, and I was born in 1988. And you're like, wow, okay. Um, I don't. I didn't watch as much football when the Rams were in L.A. So to me, this is just, you know, kind of a, a new thing, right? Mm-hmm. But how big is it in the landscape of football and on the West Coast and big city? I mean, it's – it's well, you say big city. It's big to the NFL, first of all. Just forget – I mean, it's the second biggest market in the country. They wanted a team there, and now they finally got one. And I think, you know, obviously living here, it's a sensitive subject. We've seen relocation happen. And – the difference there, I mean, that's a team that was here 40 years and left. For St. Louis, it's it's awful for St. Louis Rams fans. I do feel for them. But this wasn't a team with a long, rich history there. Their, their long, rich history is in L.A. So there's going to be, I mean, it's L.A. There's going to be bandwagon fans. There's going to be people jumping on. But there's a lot of older fans who were diehard Rams fans for generations, for decades, who this is a huge deal for them to get them back. And then I wrote a little bit about this, so I'm kind of plugging my own stuff. But talking to guys like Richard Sherman, who's really involved both here and down there in the community, and Pete Carroll, who did so much work with A Better L.A., what an NFL team can mean in the community to those kids in the tough neighborhoods, things like that, it, it can just be massive. I mean, Richard Sherman's talked about that. He's He talks about, I didn't have that growing up. And it, you know, it seemed like the NFL was some distant thing, and now he can – he can sense where these Rams players can be going to the communities that he grew up in and, and help touch those kids. Yeah. You, you, sometimes you fail to see that bigger impact mm-hmm. outside of just the 80 or 90,000 fans that we're going to see on game day. I said earlier that I wanted to go back to that 10 a.m. start. I don't think that we talk about this enough in the context of starts in the central time zone. Everybody talks about going to the East Coast. And those trips to the East Coast are long and they are difficult. But I don't know if fans realize that the schedule on the East Coast is almost identical to the schedule on the West Coast. As far as bus times, meeting times, breakfast times, you get to the stadium. And yes, it's, you know, body clock, body clock. But it's still 1030 in the morning is when you're leaving to go to the stadium on that second bus on the East Coast or on the West Coast. That central time zone was a killer an hour when when you're playing yeah. at noon and se- that was a killer for these guys. Yeah, it's hard. It, it, I think any of them are hard, but as you said, when it's just that much different. And then I that dome, it's. I'm sure back. I never went there when the Rams were in their it was heyday. The and I'm show sure it turf. was great energy, but the energy in that place for those noon starts local time, yeah. it was just quiet. And I, you talk to players about it and it's, the lighting's not good, and you talk to players, it's just it's so hard to get up and ready for those games. So I think 1 o'clock, L.A., I mean, a lot of these players have ties down there. Pete's going to be fired up. I think I think we're going to see a very – I mean, obviously the Rams are going to be excited, but I think this will be a very exciting game for the Seahawks too. All right. I will put you on the spot with one more question. I did this last week, so you kind of have to know that it's coming. Oh, shoot, I forgot. And it's, it's a softball, really. Is there – we've talked big picture about key storylines and matchups, but is there one more thing or is there one thing in particular – that you're going to be looking at this week 
as a sign of success or something that the Seahawks need to accomplish? Um, well, it's tied to a couple things. Third down was big in the last game. And actually, you go back to the Rams, third down was a huge problem for them. That's why they kept having to punt. Seahawks weren't great on third down, but they were a little bit better than the Dolphins, who really struggled, and that helped tell the story of the game. Tying to that, one of the matchups, I think, could favor the Seahawks. Doug Baldwin, we all know, great guy, great receiver in general, but really good in the slot. Nine catches, 92 yards, and a touchdown last week. The leading receiver against the Rams last week was Jeremy Curley. Nice player, but not quite Doug Baldwin. He was working out of the slot two weeks after being traded to the 49ers, so... Maybe the Rams will totally change up how they do things, but if they're covering the slot similar to how they did against the 49ers, I think that's a matchup Doug Baldwin could really exploit. You talk about uh, third down conversion. Seattle was 5 for 16 in the game after starting 1 for 10. Yeah, so, so they got to go. They, they picked it up, and it was difficult for the Rams 3 for 15 on third downs. And I would say uh, on both sides of this one, penalties. We saw a lot of penalties for the Seahawks in week one, and I'm willing to say that part of that is just um, getting back into it. Eight penalties for 69 yards. I'd like to see them knock down those penalties just a little bit. Oh, for sure. I mean, they're, they're always going to have a few, but in, we always think about the offensive pre-snap, offensive line. Those are a big deal, but special teams, too. They really hurt themselves field position-wise with a couple, especially punt returns. They had a couple decent returns nullified, and, and you know you go from almost midfield to backed up inside your own 20. So in a game that's probably going to be tight, low scoring, that field position could be big. It could be indeed, and that will be it for Seahawks Insiders. John Boyle from Seahawks.com. All of his great stuff available, of course, every day, multiple times a day you post, right? Yeah. We're all over it. We're all over it. Seahawks.com. Jen Mueller with you. I will be on the sidelines on Sunday, and we will see you back here next week.